Today's episode of Unseen is sponsored by BetterHelp. Whether you're looking to level up your mental wellness or simply trying to survive 2020, we're all in need of a little therapy right now. And that's why Team Unseen recommends BetterHelp. BetterHelp is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available. You can start communicating in under 48 hours, and the service is available for clients worldwide. You can message your counselor anytime, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and never sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. And as a special offer for Unseen listeners, you can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com Unseen. That's BetterHelp.com Unseen. Join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Again, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com. The following episode contains discussions of murder and physical violence, as well as depictions of a house burning to the ground and mentions of death due to fire. It also contains passing mention, though no depiction of suicide. Listener discretion advised. Long Story Short Productions presents Unseen Episode 4 A Day of Sunshine and Rain by Gabrielle Urbina It's okay. I'm okay. Oh, just need to get my
<laughs> That's better. Nothing like a smoke under the stars to dull the pain. <laughs> stars are beautiful, though, aren't they? And now, the fun bit. Agent Laval, comma, Edmund. Assignment to Silver Spin. Wanted to check in, let you know how I've been getting on. The flight was all right. Didn't have a movie, which was a little disappointing. Uh, the place itself is quite nice. I tell you, I've been all over the world, but nothing could have really prepared me for West Virginia. It's very hilly, but uh, not in a imposing majesty of nature sort of way, just lots of ills and mist deep, deep green it's nice and the people are nice too well, I have a brilliant recipe for cornbread now, so look forward to that Plus, only three people have so far made fun of the way I talk. So that's been grand. How are you doing? Are you eating enough? Sleeping enough? Do you miss me? Bet you miss me. Tell you what, if you miss me, say absolutely nothing. Go okay, I miss you too. <laughs> God, I can practically hear your teeth grit. <laughs> When's he going to get on with it? Enough already, Edmund. You know what I want to hear. You know why I sent you out there. This isn't why we went through a great deal of trouble and expense to set up these call lines. And... <laughs> All right, I will get on with it. Right after you solve a riddle for me. <laughs> no, no, come on. This will be fun. Chance to exercise that brilliant mind of yours and shut me up by proving you're smarter than I am. It's the two great pleasures of your life together at last. So, are you watching closely? Picture, if you will, an apartment building. 
one of those big monstrous estates in the dodgy end of cities like Krakow or Warsaw. 65 floors of dirt cheap flats. And on the day we're visiting this dilapidated skyscraper, it's cold. It's 10 below, 15 below, maybe even 20 below, depending on how the wind blows. It's one of those Polish winters that doesn't just chill, it bites. And that morning, as we picture ourselves arriving at this building, there's an object laid out right at the front door, half buried in snow. A human body. The police are called, and they quickly examine the body, talk to the people that found it, blah, blah, blah. And on the body itself? All the telltale signs that give away that a human being has been suddenly introduced to the ground while traveling at a very high speed. Detective number one thinks to himself, Right, poor man must have fallen out of a window by accident or decided that it was all too much and he wanted to end it all. But the second detective's not so sure. He looks up at the building, at all its windows and balconies, and he decides he wants to run an experiment. He goes up to the second floor, into the apartment right over the front door of the building, walks across the living room, and opens up the window. He sticks his head out the window and looks around. He sees his partner down on the ground, looking up at him and wondering what in all the hells he's doing. And then he takes a coin from his wallet and he flips it right out of the window watches it sail down to the ground. So then the detective walks back down, leaves the building, and spends a few minutes looking around, until finally he sees the coin, checks what side it landed on, and picks it up. Now his partner turns to him, completely perplexed. He goes, Well, are you done? And the detective just shakes his head and goes, No. Now I need to do it again. Now I need to do it 64 more times. So our man goes back into the building and goes up to the third floor. Walks over, opens the window, flips the coin down to the ground. Rushes out, finds it, picks it up. And then again, fourth floor. Up the stairs, window, coin, down the stairs. Has another look, turns around and does it again. Fifth floor, much the same, climb, 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 open the window, flip the coin, down, 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 see where it lands. And on and on and on it goes for hours. Until finally, at quarter to midnight, just when his partner's about to fall asleep, our man's done. He's run the little test on every single floor of the building, all of the flats that are even remotely in line with the front door. And as he turns towards his partner, the detective points to the body and goes, That man didn't have an accident, and he certainly didn't commit suicide. He was murdered. 
And his partner, his poor, sleepy, exasperated partner, just blinks at him and goes, How? How could you possibly know that? And you know what the detective says? No, that's actually what I'm asking you. How could the detective have known that? That's my riddle. So, any guesses? Tell you what, um, if you want more time to think it over, say absolutely nothing. Okay then, we'll let you have a little bit of a think. I can hear you right now, you know, uh, in my head. I know exactly what you're saying. Come on then, Edmund. Don't have all day, Edmund. This isn't why we sent you to America. You're only supposed to call on official Black Star business. Not to tell me fascinating riddles. Well, I'm glad you like the riddle. But I take your point. Well. Here's a story, then. One... I think you're more eager to hear. So, there's this man, an insurance man. Works for a big company, one that's very invested in the world, continuing to spin the way it has for a good long while. And this man's particular speciality is fire. He's good with fire. He knows fire, how it starts, how it goes out, how it burns. The company this bloke works for sends him to all kinds of places. He goes all over the world, zip, 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 wherever there's a particularly interesting fire. Sometimes he puts fires out. Sometimes he figures out how a fire started. Sometimes, sometimes he figures out who started the fire. So, one day, as our man is recovering from a very exciting trip to Kuala Lumpur, and one to Bucharest just the week prior, the company gives him a ring. They need him to go on the road again. They need him to look into a rather curious event that's happened out in a magical little place called Looneyville, West Virginia. See, the company's heard that there was a fire in Looneyville, and they're wondering if it was the interesting sort of fire, the kind that might require some specialized attention. So, the man grabs the bags he's just unpacked, and off he goes to the wondrous land of the 35th state. Now, interesting place, Looneyville. Sort of town where everything has a sense of, well, of going on and on where you can barely even see your next-door neighbor's house off in the distance, and you have to drive 20 minutes when you need to ask them for a cup of sugar. And almost immediately after he's made it off his pleasant, 
if woefully lacking in cinematic entertainment, flight, and off his train, and then out of his rather uncomfortable rented Corolla, the insurance man starts to hear the stories around Looneyville about how one of the houses there had disappeared, or, well, actually, how it had burnt down. Although, for such a gossiped about event, it was curious. No one could quite agree on how it had happened. So, our man decided he ought to have a look at this place. But he wasn't ready for what he found there. Because when he got to the old Winstead place, there was nothing left of it. The entire house had been obliterated. All that was there, to mark where it had once stood, was a pile of grey ash. And this sat very, very poorly with the man. See, what you need to understand is that fire isn't precise. It isn't exact or orderly or meticulous. It's just... It doesn't care. It just takes whatever's in front of it until it can't anymore, until something stops it, or until it burns out. But it's rare for something to burn down and for there to be nothing left of it. There's always something, a sooted shore, blackened, changed forever, but still standing. A door frame that was just far enough away to avoid the worst of it. A bit of floor that was too low. A wall that was too stubborn to fall down. It's something. But not at the old Winston place. That house hadn't burnt down. It had been annihilated. Which meant one of two things. Either a rather powerful bomb had gone off in that house, or what had broken out there had been a very interesting sort of fire. I suppose, in a way, it was a bit of both. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to our story. Now, once he's seen the place, our man thinks something else happened at that farm. But he doesn't know if it's the sort of thing that falls under his... jurisdiction. He isn't sure yet. And he has to be sure. Bad things happen when he doesn't make sure before he starts to process things. So he thinks to himself, well, someone must have seen what happened. And he drives out to the house nearest to the old Winstead place and asks the owners if they saw anything. And they say, sure, they saw it all. It was a warm summer's day, right around sunset. And suddenly, there was a big bright flash. The kind that happens when a propane tank blows up. And then, when the smoke cleared, the house was gone. Which is all well and good. But something about it doesn't sit well with the insurance man. Something bothers him. So he thinks to himself, better see what the other next door neighbor has to say. So he gets back in the rental car, 
and drives 40 minutes over to the next nearest house. And once he gets to the other neighbors, he asks them if they had seen what happened at the old Winston place. But the nice old man who answered the door told him, Oh, sure. Sign up. Uh, two days back, there was this terrible storm. We could see the Winston house outlined in the distance every time the lightning hit. There yeah, must have been a lightning strike. Uh, there's this big flash. And the house was gone. Now, now the insurance man's really interested. Because, see, he's pretty good at knowing when someone's lying to him. So he gets back in the car and drives 40 minutes back to the first neighbor and makes that guy tell him the story all over again. And the upstanding local citizen tells him the story again, and all the details are just the same as the first time, the sunset, the propane tank, the explosion. And all the signs that someone's lying, carotid pumping, instinctively covering vulnerable body parts, shuffling feet. This man's got none of it. Then the insurance man gets in his car again and zip, goes back to the second neighbor. And that man also tells the exact same story he did the first time. Rain, thunder, and then silence. And he doesn't seem to be lying either. So now the insurance man knows that something fun is happening here. Because both of these men believe what they saw. But one man says it happened on a clear summer's day, and the other says it happened during a terrible storm. How can it be both? How can it be a day of sunshine and rain? Unless, of course, there was something else at work here. Something that would make these men see something different than what was really happening in front of their eyes. So at that point, the insurance man decided that... Oh, damn. Uh, my smoke's gone out. Give me a moment, will you? Absilno. Sorry about that. Crisis averted. My cigarette is lit again. And yes, yes, I know. But I would appreciate it if you didn't say anything disparaging or reproachful or, you know, correct, about my occasional indulgences. All right? Thank you. Your sympathetic understanding is noted. Anyhow, where were we? Ah, yes. The police in Looneyville were very accommodating. All it took was a little persuasion. And the insurance man was able to look over their files from the accident. 
by the time he finally made it back to the remains of the old Winston place, it was after dark and he knew the files by heart. In total, four bodies were removed from the wreckage, all of them burnt beyond recognition. Through those four bodies, the police accounted for William Arthur Winstead, 48, his wife, Gloria Winstead, 43, his 17-year-old son, Stephen Winstead, and his 17-year-old daughter, Rose Winstead. Twins. A boy and a girl. What are the odds, right? thing what a mind does when confronted with something that grim. Strangest thoughts pop into your head. In the case of the insurance man, he thought of an old joke he'd heard a long time ago. About two twins. Have you heard it? Ah, oh, you must have. But, well, just in case. Once upon a time, there was a little boy and a little girl, brother and sister, twins. And a very interesting thing had happened to them. They'd developed extreme personalities. One of them was a total optimist, and the other one was a total pessimist. Understandably concerned, the children's parents took them to a psychiatrist. The doctor proposed running a few tests to gauge how the siblings would respond. He started with the little girl. Who was the pessimist? The doctor wanted to brighten her outlook, so he took her to a great big room filled with toys. But instead of leaping into play, the little girl burst into tears. What's wrong? The psychiatrist asked. Don't you want to play with your new toys? <laughs> yes, of course I do, the little girl said between sobs. But if I did, I'd only break them. After that, the psychiatrist turned to the little boy, who was the optimist. He thought he'd see if he could bring down the young lad's enthusiasm, so he took him to a room where the only thing in it was a massive pile of horse manure. But instead of covering his nose or being disgusted, the little boy climbed to the very top of the pile and began gleefully digging out manure with his bare hands. What? The psychiatrist stammered, baffled. In heaven's name are you doing? And the little boy turned back to stare at him like it was the most obvious thing in the world. What? Can't you see? The little boy said. With all this manure, there has to be a pony in here somewhere. It's a good joke. Funny, right? If you think it was funny, say absolutely nothing. I'm glad you agree. Well, uh, that joke was what the insurance man was thinking about as he stood in the ashes of this family's home. He was wondering about the little girl in it. She was so afraid, well, not even afraid, so certain 
that she would break everything. The moral of the story seems pretty clear-cut. Don't be like the girl. Always look for the pony! But maybe the girl had a reason to be so sad. After all, there are creatures in the world who break everything they touch. And that's when the insurance man realised that he wasn't alone. He wasn't alone and the police had made a terrible mistake. See, they hadn't known that Stephen Winstead's friend, Ernest Fillmore, had been visiting the house that day. Ernest, who was a few years older and lived by himself on the other side of town and wouldn't be missed for a few more days, Ernest, who had a similar build to young Stephen Winstead, and could easily be mistaken for him if their bodies were burnt badly enough. Which is how the insurance man suddenly came face to face with the soot-covered, wide-eyed figure of Stephen Winstead, age 17. Now, fortunately, the insurance man had seen a lot of strange things in his work for the company, and he wasn't easily intimidated. But just from the vacant look in the young man's eyes, he could tell he wasn't well. The insurance man asked him if he'd started the fire. And Paul Stephen stared at him at the insurance man with this strange, desperate look in his eyes and his voice low and hoarse. He asked, you can see me. And the insurance man nodded and repeated his question, did you start the fire? Slowly, the young man nodded. The insurance man asked him how he started the fire. The boy shrugged. He waved his hands, and they left a trail of fire in the air as they went. I just see it, Stephen said. I see it in my mind, and it, it happens out here. The insurance man asked the boy how old he was when he realized he could do that, and the answer was low and shaky, and a single word, twelve. The insurance man nodded and asked Stephen if anyone else had ever been able to see what he did. His family, his friends. The young man shook his head. Nope, he just wanted them to see it. He had tried so, so hard to show them, but every time their eyes would gloss over or they'd remember something else they had to do or they'd instantly forget it. He could do magic and no one could see it. Why couldn't they see it? What was wrong with them? What was wrong with him? He didn't have any answers. He didn't even know if he was losing his mind, so he had decided, come hell or high water, he'd make them see the fire. The police hadn't seen it either. After the house burnt down, they'd not even seen him. He'd yelled at them, asked for help, asked for forgiveness for anything. They'd walked past him, seen through him no matter what he did. He'd even gone into town. Spent the past three days wandering through the streets trying to find someone, anyone, that could see him. He'd finally given up and gone back to where the house had been because... Well, where else did he have to go? And even though poor Stephen hadn't realised what had happened, the insurance man did. 
It's a terrible thing to find yourself a gifted creature in a place that can't recognize you for what you are. You know, you change the world and then have the world carry on as though you weren't even there. Especially for someone as gifted as Stephen. For someone who'd been able to do so much without any training or guidance at such a young age. The police couldn't see him afterwards. Of course they couldn't. To create a fire big enough to cause that destruction. Forget doing magic. He practically was an act of magic at that point. The call wouldn't let anyone see him. At least not for a few days. But the insurance man could see him. He'd learned how to get past the call a long time ago. He'd gotten the help he needed. And now... Now he wanted to help Stephen. But when the insurance man told him that, this poor guilt-ridden boy wasn't in the mood to be helped. He didn't want to go anywhere with anyone. But the insurance man didn't listen. He came closer, and Stephen just gestured at it. Just simple instinct. Get back. Stay away. But like I said, <sighs> the mind is a curious thing. Strange things pop into it at times of stress. Stephen's mind could only see one thing. And he saw it with so much clarity that he made it true. Fire, fire everywhere. Which was... Less than ideal. But fortunately, as I said before, this particular insurance man has a way with fire. He knows how it starts, he knows how it works, he knows how it burns, and when you know how something works, chances are you can make it work for you. I think you can guess what happened after that. What always happens. There was a fight. Even though no one wanted to hurt anyone, I said that so often, when no one wants to hurt anyone, that is when the most people are hurt. Anyway, it was the usual. The untrained prodigy versus the steady hand of the old master. Lots of spells, lots of fire, lots of explosions, running, jumping. Lots of creative uses of the terrain. One absolutely totaled rental car, sorry about that. Blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> but you know how that goes the same way it always goes. But the real question is have you figured out what you were missing earlier? The real question is Have you figured out my riddle? I gave you that extra time you wanted. Surely you've solved it. Dead man in front of the snowy apartment building. 65 floors. And 65 times a coin is flipped. And at the other side, the detective is sure this is murder. How? Oh, of course you know. I know you do. You were always the clever one. But I have always liked helping you feel like the clever one. You could use a reminder every now and then, you know? 
Shall we say it together then? Very good. Three, two, one. The windows. Yes. I thought you'd gotten it. If the dead man had fallen out or jumped out, then why in every floor did the detective have to open the window? It's funny, isn't it? The smallest thing can make the biggest differences, even when most people just see right through them. Anyway, Addison, this is all just to say that, well, that West Virginia has been lovely. Wish you were here to see it for yourself. But then again, are you busy? So I'm doing the next best thing. I'm bringing you a souvenir. The only thing about it is it's been through a lot. Might need to be by itself for a little while. And then it is going to need quite a lot of care and attention and, well, training. So best keep it somewhere warm, hmm? somewhere pleasant. A place with rain and sunshine, if we can manage it. In any case, I better run. We have an early flight back tomorrow. So I suppose let's do the formal bit. <clears throat> For Black Star Case Silver Spin, this is Agent Laval reporting that all active magic users are accounted for and all dangerous elements are contained. The case can be considered effectively closed. <laughs> and as for the unofficial bit, just know that I miss you terribly. And I can't wait to see you again once I'm back. Lots and lots and lots of love from your big brother. Yes, even if it's only by 26 minutes, it still counts. Edmund. This has been Unseen by Long Story Short Productions. Based on an original idea by Gabrielle Urbina, with additional conceptual design work by Sarah Shackett. Today's episode was written by Gabrielle Urbina and directed by Sarah Shackett, with script editing by David K. Barnes. It starred Felix Trench in the role of Edmund Laval. Original music by Alan Rohde, 
and sound design by Zach Valenti. Unseen is produced by Sarah Shackett, Zach Valenti, and Gabrielle Urbina, along with Angel Acevedo, Jen Schneider, and Amy Tangway. For more information on the Unseen world, please visit unseen.show. Thank you for listening. You're still listening? Phenomenal! Hey, Unseen Producer Zach Valenti here with a quick ask. First, if you loved the show, we'd love to know. Please take a moment while it's still fresh to rate and review the show wherever you listen, in particular Apple Podcasts. Second, we decided to make this series to bring a little bit of magic into a world that we felt could really use some. Please take a moment to share this episode with someone or someones who brings magic to your life. You can tell them there's a message for them at the end of the episode. <clears throat> On behalf of whoever brought you here, as awesome as I thought this episode was, having you to share it with is the best part about it. <clears throat> While we're here, I also wanted to take a sec to shout out all 1,162 of our Kickstarter backers who made this show possible. If you weren't a backer but would like to support the show retroactively, visit unseen.show slash support. If you ever want to say hi, the show is on Twitter at unseen.show. Thank you so much, everyone who sent us such amazing fan art. All right, that's all for now. We'll be back next week with episode five. Are you watching closely? <laughs>